This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And uh, we are uh, recording this on the 1st of August, so summer is wrapping up, Father. Yes. Let's get going. Let's get, let's get moving to something else. Let's get moving Done to something else. Summer. Absolutely. <laughs> Done with, I'm, I'm finished with you. Uh, so once again, just as we get into the program, before we get into today's, today's topic, um, a reminder that uh, we are happy to hear from you, listeners. Any ideas you have for future episodes, questions you have about past episodes, comments you'd like to make, please feel free to email us. The easiest way to do that is to email me, uh, Chris, at cbergwald at sfcatholic.org, cbergwald. B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. Um, I mentioned a few episodes ago that we are going to do a, another uh, uh, giveaway contest coming up. So, Father, I want to go ahead and do that uh, today, if that's okay with you. Give it away. So, real quick, Father, uh, do you know who Father Dwight Longnecker is? I've heard of the man. He is um, an adult convert to Catholicism from, uh, I think, from Anglicanism. Um, so he, he's, a, he's a priest, f- Father Dwight Longnecker. He's a priest, and he's, he's written a number of books. Uh, I, I, I probably situate him in sort of the, the Inklings vein, Chesterton, uh, Lewis, and those. Not ne- and he'd say, you know, not necessarily up at their same level of literary prowess, but that's sort of the, the style that, that he approximates. Um, and he's got a, 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 a few years ago, he wrote a book called uh, Christianity, pure and simple, just the the basic bare bones. What is Christianity? And then more recently, sort of a, a more specific Catholic edition of that book, uh, Catholicism, pure and simple. And I've got a copy of this book that I am going to give away to the first person who emails Father, emails me, and says, "Hey." I want that book by Father Dwight Longnecker, uh, Catholicism Pure and Simple. Uh, how's that sound to you, Father? I've got more how many different like mispronunciations of the name of Longnecker you're going to find. Yeah, we'll find out. So, you know, and, and Father, you cannot email me. So don't even, if I get back to my office and there's an email, I'm not sending you the book. So don't get any funny ideas. So I shouldn't press send. Nobody. <laughs> this contest isn't eligible for all those who are involved in any with the production, recording, or transmission of um, Ignition. Sorry, Mr. Producer Tim. Sorry, Mr. Producer Tim. So, so uh, Father Dwight Longnecker, Catholicism Pure and Simple. Check it out if you want a copy. Be the first one to email me, Seabergwald at sfcatholic.org. So, Father, we, we're, again, we're recording this the beginning of August, uh, but just uh, earlier this week, uh, as we're recording this, Pope Francis finished up uh, uh, what seems to have been a resoundingly successful World Youth Day. Three million young adults uh, present um, on, I think, Saturday night. And then again on Sunday for the closing mass, uh, that's a pretty good turnout, Father. And not too shabby. I mean, we get about that same at our uh, six thirty mass at the Newman. <laughs> yeah. So once again, as we see, the church is dying and it's decrepit. And uh, oh, oh, whoops! False narrative. Maybe not. Um. And of course, we're, Father and I are going to talk about one of the addresses that that Pope Francis gave in particular. Uh, in a little bit, but we want to begin by talking about 
the non-story story, Father. Uh, why don't you uh, explain the non-story story a little bit? Well, um, I first encountered the non-story story. I, I've, you may tell by my deep bass tones, if you're a regular listener, that um, find a bit of a summer cold. And so uh, I don't know if it was Monday or whatever, I woke up after trying to sleep and kind of trying to recuperate. And, um, and uh, uh, you know, a lot of things I saw like in the Internet universe, Twitter, Facebook, places like that, about uh, Pope Francis's supposed comments and like if you do like a little uh, web search on uh, uh, online about uh, and just putting the words who am I to judge Pope Francis and yep. you get you know uh, ninety bazillion hits or whatever it is uh, approximately approximately that's what well, that's, that's a Google well I mean Google estimates you know in about point two four seconds how many hits you get and uh, so this notion that um, the Pope has somehow uh, redefined the papacy according to one one blog. The New Yorker redefined the papacy, really. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, oh. yeah. New Yorker says, and so um, that's an actual headline. Who am I to judge? Francis redefines the papacy. <sighs> so there's a lot of much ado about nothing, and uh, well, it's not really nothing. It's something we should talk about, especially because it is kind of hot in people's ears. At least maybe we can take a couple minutes at the beginning of this uh, ignition, dear listeners, just to kind of say what was said. So just to set it up, they're on a flight back from Brazil, and uh, originally Pope Francis had done, uh, typically a pope will do like a little press conference uh, on his way to the country he's going to, and Pope Francis is like, no, I don't want to do that, I'll come and visit journalists individually, but uh, on the way back, he's like, you know, let's have a little 80-minute press conference. <laughs> yeah, Father, what's interesting about it, real quick there, he actually said on the way there, yeah, I, 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 don't, do, I don't do press conferences. Basically, he's, he's just not comfortable for some reason doing them. Um, I, somebody said he must, have, he must have been on a big high, a spiritual, emotional high from uh, Rio because he changed his tune pretty quickly on the flight back. Yeah, who, or who knows? Who knows the minds of a pope, you know, and what he's going on there. Yep. And he certainly looks kind of eager in, yeah. uh, in the photos of him on the plane talking to journalists. But So the question at point um, uh, is the question that uh, was made to him by a, uh, a, uh, a journalist uh, saying uh, the full question was about uh, uh, another, it says, another image that went around the world is that of Monsignor Rica, R-I-C-C-A, in the news about his personal life, I'd like to know, Your Holiness, what will be done about this question? How should one deal with this question? How does Your Holiness wish to deal with the whole question of the, quote, gay lobby? Matina Rica, for those that know, is, was appointed to be uh, in charge of the Institutes of Religious Work, or sometimes called the Vatican Bank. It's basically just a place where collections are stored and then sent off to... Um, the missions throughout the world. And this Monsignor, uh, Rika, R-I-C-C-A, who's just been put in charge of it, there's been accusations made against um, impropriety of his actions in the past. Um, and uh, and so what the Pope is going to do about that. Um Want to go from there? Yeah. So, so, so there's a question about the gay lobby, and I don't have, Father. Um, I, I, I'll, I want you if you have the actual text of. I do. Okay. So th- there's this question posed um, about this because it has been in, in church circles. People, you know, this sort of inside baseball. But uh, you know, wh- what is because Francis was elected in many ways to bring some reform to the Roman Curia to the to the 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 offices at the Vatican. 
that that serve him and 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 on uh, in, on his behalf serve the church throughout the world and there's some need for reform and the cardinals were really uh, apparently um, discussed during prior to the conclave that elected him and then in the actual voting they wanted a man who would bring some some degree of reform to the curia and so there's a lot of buzz about the allegations against Monsignor Rica because it seems like okay well here we go same old same old we got uh, insiders protecting their own somebody who's maybe really done some inappropriate things in his past this is just more of the same so is there really reform that's going on so that's part of the the larger subtext and context of the question as well. That is an important question. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's this question. So you're basically asking Francis, so what about that? What do you think about that? And this is where, it, for at least some people, it got really interesting. Right. And so this is a long answer. It's one, two, three full paragraphs. Uh, I'm looking through saltandlighttv.org, which is a uh, Canadian uh, Catholic media group. Um, and, uh, you know, first of all, he just talks about, uh, regarding Monsignor uh, Rica, he said, you know, I, I did the due diligence that can law required, um, and that we didn't find anything corresponding to the accusations against him. Um, but he's also saying, you know, that in the Church, there are people who have sins of their youth, right? And he even brings up the example of St. Peter uh, denying Christ at the time of his, persec- uh, at the time of his crucifixion. He says, you know, when people go to confession, we truly say, I have sinned in this matter, the Lord forgets. We don't have the right to not forget, because we run the risk that the Lord will not forget our sins. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who trespass against us. So kind of first making that point, basically saying that he thinks Monsignor Rica, uh, if he's done things in his past, that he's amended his life and changed and trying to go forward. Um. And then the second point where, you know, people talk about this, uh, the presence of a gay lobby uh, in the Vatican, you know, he says, I've, I've yet to find a Vatican identity card, the word gay. Uh, they have, um, but he's also gone to say, you know, that whether there's any lobby, you know, lobbies aren't good um, in the Vatican. But also, you know, if, 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 he says, if a person is gay and seeks the Lord and has goodwill, who am I to judge that person? And that's probably the most in- Inflammatory yep. writing, we talked about that who am I to judge phrase. Yep. So the phrase there, he says, if a person is gay and seeks the Lord and has goodwill, who am I to judge? So what does that mean by Pope Francis then, Dr. Bergwald? Does that mean that uh, you can be an active, practicing, uh, can be someone with same-sex attraction who acts outwardly on those uh, feelings in uh, homosexual relationships and be a good practicing Catholic? That That's apparently how much of the mainstream media and and mainstream journalists have interpreted it based on for instance the that that blog post from the New Yorker website that you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. uh, Francis revolutionizes the papacy or whatever he said you know that phrase father um, who am I to judge carries a lot of baggage I think in our in our in our culture where it, it's taken by people to mean um, that you, you, you can't say certain things are wrong. And I'm pretty sure that that's not what Francis, Pope Francis meant by it. No, no. And I think there he sees, he actually goes to the catechism with the next quote, but I think by the fact that he's saying, if a person is gay and seeks the Lord and has goodwill. Yes. What does he mean by <laughs> phrases like that? We mean someone who's trying to live chastity. Yep. You know, and striving for that. And then that person is not supposed to then judge those interior motives. He goes on to quote the catechism explains the point beautifully, but says, wait a moment, how does it say it? 
It says these persons must never be marginalized. They must be integrated into society, which is what the Catechism does say in its paragraphs on uh, homosexuality. Right, that we're not supposed, we, we shouldn't uh, mistreat or unjustly treat anybody for any reason. Um, now, the, people have a hard time, you know, the, the Catholic Church does not say that, that having same-sex attraction um, is sinful. Uh, the church is is very clear about that. That that simply having that attraction, that simple. The church does you know talk about disorder and so on, but it's not sinful. Um, it says there's not a culpability. Correct. Um, that that uh, at least in the vast majority, if not all instances, uh, people who have same sex attraction, they they did not ask for it. They did not seek it out. It's something that so to speak has happened to them. Um, they're, therefore, they're not guilty of anything. Therefore, the church does not say that they are automatically going to hell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There might be some fringe Christian groups that say that, but that is not and has never been the te- never been the teaching of the Catholic Church. Not in July of 2013. Not in July of 2003, never has the Catholic Church said that simply having same-sex attraction um, is grounds for damnation, let alone any sin. It's it's not sinful in any way, correct? Correct. So, but what you said, goodwill. So the the way, as you said, if it it's, it's having those desires is one thing, acting on them is another. So as you just said, Francis, Pope Francis is simply saying what the church has always taught. And that's why, to me, it's a non-story story. Maybe he's, he's doing it in his own way, but he's saying what Benedict taught, what JP2 taught, again, what the church has always taught. That's my understanding. Very much so. So that's, you know... Uh, you know Let's go on to the real deal. What's that? So let's go to the real deal. Yeah, I, just there, there's a lot out there on this, but again, it's 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 what the church has always taught. So, Father just said, "What we want to church listeners, don't be worried about it." Yeah, yeah, don't. And and, and once again, the lesson is always is don't get your church news from the New York Times. And, uh, yes, exactly. Or the Associated Press, or CBS, or whoever. And so. Yep. Um, so the real news then, Dr. Burgold, would be some of the comments and addresses that uh, the Holy Father made, which seem to be revealing more and more of his pastoral plan and more of his heart uh, and his mission in the papacy. Yeah, he gave a number of addresses during his time in Rio, and one of the ones that immediately got a lot of attention uh, attention among among um, commentators within the church was an address that he gave on Saturday to the bishops of Brazil. So the shepherds of the flock of 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 Brazilian Catholics, and and frankly, everyone. Um, in a certain way. So he, he gave a, a lengthy address. And again, Father, my understanding is, um, I, I don't know, I don't think there was a, a text. He says is in his introduction, more than a formal address, I would like to share some reflections with you. So maybe there was a text that he was using, but but sort of his MO is, you know, not, not something that's formal, more of a, a set of informal reflections, uh, sometimes written, sometimes they're completely extemporaneous off the cuff. Um, and, and I think for, for both you and I, um, it was his third point that particularly struck us. Um, and it refers to a Bible story. And so if it's Bible, it's gotta be father Dickinson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, a reference to the road to Emmaus, um, 
Road to Mass, of course, one of the famous uh, passages in the Scripture, uh, where in uh, Luke chapter 24, on Easter morning, uh, Clopas and a companion and another disciple uh, are on their way to Emmaus, some seven miles uh, from Jerusalem, on the, and they're walking there and, they enca- and debating with themselves about the things that have happened on the way. Uh, and it's there that they encounter Jesus and have a conversation with him and a culmination in, in the Eucharist. But so Pope Francis uses this, though, in a way that I've never really heard this this passage referred to before. And he uses this passage as kind of a, a parable or uh, a, uh, a way to tell the story of our own day, of Christians in our own day, Catholics in our own day, in our own uh, uh, kind of the state of faith in the midst of the world. Uh, and I think, even if he meant it explicitly for Nebraska, I think it's, or Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> that, that country to the south, Nebraska. No, wait, Brazil. Um, <laughs> I'm going to chalk that up, just the summer cold, Father. <laughs> thank you. Um, and so whether you meant that explicitly for Brazil, right. or for, I think it certainly applies to the world in just kind of the way larger cultural forces are moving. Um, and so the image he has, you know, he talks about the two disciples left Jerusalem. In his own words here, in the second paragraph of part three, he says, uh, they are leaving behind the nakedness of God. They are scandalized by the failure of the Messiah in whom they had hoped, and who now appeared utterly vanquished, humiliated, even after the third day. Here we have to face a difficult mystery of those people who leave the church, who under the illusion of alternative ideas, now think that the church, their Jerusalem, their home, their high point, can no longer offer them anything meaningful and important, and so they set off on the road alone with their disappointment. Um, I was really just, I thought it was, I thought it was a captivating, captivating image and captivating way to tell the story of modern man. Yeah, so he, and the thing too, that I mean, he, he prefaces as he's starting to tell that, that just before he gets into the, the story as, as you were just explaining it or, or uh, reading from his reflections, the, 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 the context again here is the apparent failure of of the church at least in the in the west and again you you point out he's he's speaking you know i think oftentimes when you about the new evangelization and so on father we think you know of of the collapse in some ways of the church in europe and and the slow bleed going on in in uh, north america and so on but the, the reality is this is this is also these similar issues at least about the same issues are being faced by the church around the world even in in places uh, in latin america like brazil um, so i love the opening paragraph paragraph there in the third part before all else we must not yield to the fear one expressed once once expressed by blessed john henry newman quote the christian world this is the fear that cardinal newman blessed uh, john henry newman had expressed in one of his writings the fear that the christian world is gradually becoming barren and effete as land which has been worked out and has become sand. So the idea, which certainly resonates with us on the prairie, of of soil that has been overused and and everything has been uh, drawn out of it, and there's nothing left in which something can grow. So Francis is saying we can't yield to to that fear that the Christian world is becoming barren that way. He goes, Francis goes on, we must not yield to disillusionment, discourage, and complaint. We have labored greatly, and at times we see what appear to be faithful 
failures. We feel like those who must tally up a losing season as we consider those who have left us or no longer consider us credible or relevant. And then he goes on to start talking about the parable. And Father, and it's easy to see how bishops could think this way, but I think even, you know, particularly the, the example that comes to my mind is parents of grown children. You know, sort of the, the, the common lament, relatively common lament. You know, I, I sent my children to 13 years of Catholic school, or my, they went Four through... Years of Catholic University. Yeah. And uh, Jesuits. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. Uh, and they left the church. They're not practicing. They're not even Christian anymore. Da, 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 da. You know, this is a reality that I think we all face, don't you? It's, it's not just a, a problem that, that you as a priest or that the bishops of the world face. This is a reality that many of us face when we, when we, it's, it, we, we can fall into disillusionment and fear and discouragement when we see you know, people who were once Catholic no longer. Very much so. So, so that's sort of to me that just that that way he begins it, and then as you said, using this story, he even he, he the, the the title for the section is the icon of Emmaus as a key for interpreting the present and the future. Just the idea of of this this the story of the the disciples on the road to Emmaus describing it as an icon is is really a fascinating idea. As you were just saying, he's using this um, as a way to explain or to interpret uh, the world in which we live and modern man in particular. So I'm sorry. So I, I, I jumped onto that first paragraph. Anything else there in that section that you were talking about that you want to highlight? Well, I think, you know, just in general, this whole idea, it's, again, it's the Christological nature of the Church, if we want to get a little technical. Um, if we want to make it more simple, why should we, the servants, the disciples, expect to be treated any different than the Master? Mm. You know, that, that we should appear... Uh, as a scandal, it's a stumbling block, um, as a as a uh, a wall against um, you know real success in, in ministry and in life, and so um, um, we shouldn't really be disappointed or, or surprised when that happens. And so that's what I really love about this using the road to Emmaus story. So what does he propose then? Um, you know, what do we do in this context? It, 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 using, using Emmaus as this, this parable, this icon for modern man and the church of the modern world, what are we to do then? Well, a few paragraphs down, kind of in the middle of it, he talks about we need to learn how to be able to walk with them. Um, and not just simply listening, you know, like some sort of psychologist or counseling ministry, which is a fine thing, but not what's needed in this situation, but rather uh, people, a church able to make sense of the night contained in the flight of so many of our brothers and sisters from Jerusalem, right? So to to help people to see and to realize this darkness and the meaning of this darkness, and uh, we just know how to interpret with courage the larger picture, just as Jesus, you know, interpreted the larger picture for them, how foolish you are to, or how slow you are and foolish you are to not believe all that was said about the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So what is that? So what do you think that, what, is, how, what's, what do we take away from that then in our own lives? Do you think for us, mm-hmm. you know, for you as a priest here in South Dakota, for, for me and, and other, others listening as, as laymen and women, religious, et cetera, what, what, what does that mean in our own life, do you think? Well, I think one of the things is and it's um, that we can't be afraid of suffering and sadness and failure. Um, and I think our American attitude towards suffering, sadness, and failure is anti-gospel mm. because it's to medicate or in some way project it away. Hmm. Right? Yep. 
and we have to learn how to uh, we have to learn at the school of Christian suffering so that we can teach at the school of Christian suffering and invite others to find Jesus Christ in the midst of disappointment, sadness, disenfranchisement, whatever else. Right. So, yeah, so our tendency in the modern world is to do everything we can to escape pain and suffering, but that is the reality of the way of the disciple then, huh? Mm-hmm. Amen, amen, I say to you, he who wishes to be my disciple must take up his cross daily and follow after me. And so even when we're doing what we have discerned uh, is, is the will of God, when we are trying to draw others to, closer to Christ, we must face and accept this reality. I mean, Jesus, we know that Jesus did not have um, a perfect uh, batting average, so to speak, in, in terms of just his own, the 12 with, with Judas, but even others he encountered. There are many people who encountered Jesus and, and, and rejected him, at least, at least during, uh, at the time of that encounter, Pharisees, Sadducees, many scribes, etc. Why would it be any different for us then, huh? Right. So anything else, Father, in this section then that, uh, or this address in general that struck you too? Well, I think uh, you, you had talked a bit about uh, the beautiful image of faith um, when he talks about uh, uh, Our Lady of uh, Aparecida yep. um, uh, and the, the origins of that shrine. Yeah, so th- this is, uh, you know, something that I really didn't know a lot about. Father and I were talking about this before we, we um, started recording. Um, there's, as Father just said, this shrine of Aparecida. Uh, we're hoping we get that right in pronunciation. Neither of us speak Portuguese, so uh, bear with us if you do. Um, there, there's this shrine in which, and this is, this is what uh, Francis says in his address. At the beginning of the Aparecida event, there were poor fishermen looking for food. Uh, so much hunger and so few resources. People always need bread. People always start with their needs, even today. They have a dilapidated, ill-fitted boat. Their nets are old, perhaps torn, insufficient. First comes the effort, perhaps the weariness of the catch, yet the results are negligible. A failure, time wasted. For all their work, the nets are empty. Um, and then he goes on. That's when God, when he wills it, God, he, he mysteriously enters the scene. And he goes on from there. But Father, just the, again, sort of the, the, the theme that he, he speaks about later in that third part that we were just talking about, the apparent failure um, of, of, of human effort in so many ways, and yet God still works and, and, and God can work real, uh, literal miracles, but even the, you know, the, I guess, technically speaking, non-miracles, but the, the God can surprise us and he works uh, in and through our efforts in ways that, that in other times do bear fruit, right? Right. And uh, even ways that we can't imagine, that's kind of goes back a little bit to this notion of suffering, but just the power of some of those simple prayers in those moments of desperation. Exactly. So, so you know, we, 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 you know, we can't get caught up. I think in sort of a, a very human or superficial way of of tallying up successes and failures and so on. We simply need to remain faithful. Um, you know, we we need to, to sound cliche to do our best, but yet in the end, know that 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 uh, we all to, all we can do is what God asks us to do. Right. 
Right. There's a lot more here that, that we could unpack, uh, but we are sadly out of time. But if you, you can find this address all over the internet, um, at the, we, Father and I both found it at the Vatican website. It's called The Meeting with the Bishops of Brazil, Address of Pope Francis, um, again, Saturday, July 28th, 2013. Uh, but we will draw this episode now of, of Ignition to a Close. And as I said at the outset, if you have any questions, if you want that book, email me cbergwald at sfcatholic.org c-b-u-r-g-w-a-l-d at sfcatholic.org until next time dear listeners may almighty god bless you all the father son and holy spirit amen